0: How's remote monitoring of our patients going to work? Telehealth seems to be coming.
1: Are we ready? Let's see.
2: All right, good morning. We're here live at NTI 2019, and I have a couple of guests with me here this morning. Uh, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves.
0: Great, good morning. I'm Ruth Kleinpell and I'm currently at Vanderbilt University School of Nursing. I'm faculty there, and I'm also an acute care nurse practitioner.
1: And my name is Teresa Rincon, and I'm at the University of Massachusetts uh, Healthcare System, and I'm the Director of Clinical Operations and Innovation.
3: Good morning, I'm Denise Ward. I'm a, a APRN working in telecritical care at Intermountain Healthcare in Salt Lake City and also faculty at the University of Utah.
2: Great. So from around the country. So uh, I know, Ruth, Ruth, we could consider you friend of the podcast, I guess, right? You've been on there before. Yes, so yeah. um, uh, nice to meet you guys. So we're talking about telehealth uh, and APRN roles in telehealth. Telehealth is a big topic, I think, lately. Uh, but I really have to say, I don't know what the role is for nurse practitioners in mm. this. So tell me a little bit about what we can do, how we can be involved in this process.
0: Yeah, well, we had a session this morning and uh, actually highlighted some of the growing opportunities. You know, telehealth has been around for a while, uh, but I think the original models essentially had nurses working in staff nurse positions monitoring patients. But now we see in a number of settings an increased uh, utilization of advanced practice registered nurses uh, working to help manage co-manage patients uh, around with intensivists. And um, we really had a lot of interest in our session this morning. Um, There's a lot of issues with respect to gaining uh, and advancing these roles. And so we were really highlighting some of these things, especially with respect to reimbursement and state regulations, you know, scope of practice as well.
1: Yeah. And uh, I think what we sometimes think of when we think of the telehealth and providing those services is we think that the only team member is the one who's behind the camera Mm -hmm. versus the one who's in front of the camera. So really it's about making the team work in a more collaborative fashion with the patient centered at that whole teamwork and collaboration. And so what we've done is what we've seen at least at UMass is that we have both nurse practitioners and PAs and they're working either behind the camera in the tele-ICU or they're at the bedside doing team leading, especially at night when we don't have as many intensivists around. Mm -hmm. They become the team lead for those units and for those patients that they're caring for and they can work in collaboration with the intensivist and the nurse practitioner or PA that is in the tele-ICU.
2: Okay.
3: I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to de- develop the, the uh, nurse practitioner role in telecritical care, and um, it currently is, we work in, work with the intensivists in telecritical care and helping manage patients at in community ICUs.
2: Okay. So I've heard of this model uh, before, like you were saying, with the, the nurse practitioner or the PA at the bedside, uh, and a physician usually off-site at the... In the tele ICU, what's the role of the advanced practice nurse behind the camera in the in the tele ICU? Um, especially for those people maybe who are watching who don't have any idea of what a tele ICU is. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, in a tele, and that's a, a good thing to highlight. A, a tele ICU is really a remote setting where you have a variety of cameras that interface with the patient. Uh, there's a camera in the patient's ICU room. Um, And the provider who is within a telemonitoring center has uh, not only ability to uh, visually see the patient when they camera in, but also have dialogue with the bedside clinicians. And the provider in the telehealth center also has access to their test results, their uh, electronic medical records, you know, their ongoing data, vital signs, etc., So it it really is serving in a consultant type of capacity to help the bedside providers in managing the patient.
1: Yeah, and it's really no different than if you conducted uh, medical communication over a telephone, right? We've Mm -hmm. been doing that since, what, about 1900? Mm -hmm. Um, So we've been doing that for a very long time, and it's very similar to that. It's just that you've now added the dynamic or the tool of having two-way audio video. So now you can zoom in all over the room and do a complete assessment while you're communicating with the patient, the family, and other care providers to determine, what is the best next course of action or intervention for that patient? So it's really kind of changing our mindset to say, well, we use the telephone. We've been using it for many, many years, hundreds mm. of years, to conduct this communication. Now let's add some additional technology that helps us take that knowledge from that expert and put them in a patient's room no matter
3: where that patient is.
2: Okay, yeah.
3: It's. I think it's a role that's still evolving. Currently, we work in... With the intensivists, we divide up the patient list and start rounding on patients that are in these community ICUs that don't have full time 24 7 intensivists. And then um, occasionally, if we need to document in the EM- EHR, we will, especially patients that are ventilated or on uh, vasopressors. And then I think the unique thing that the APRN brings to the role is an understanding of bedside care. Mm-hmm. and working mm-hmm. with the bedside nurse and managing patients, especially when you're trying to encourage them to decrease sedation and getting the ventilator patient up and walking. Okay,
2: So I know when we talk about telehealth and tele-ICU, uh, I've talked to people before who we have this understanding of uh, a telemetry monitoring or a central monitoring service. We have that at our facility where nurses sit in a room and monitor telemetry of patients. Uh, but. The, Tele-ICU is really more than that, right? Mm -hmm. So explain to us, what's the difference between, you know, a nurse sitting there watching a bank of monitors and a true tele-ICU?
0: Well, the tele-ICU really enables the clinician to be a part of the decision-making team. So, you know, they are able to have discussion with the bedside providers uh, to uh, provide suggestions for treatment, to intervene if the patient's decompensating. So it's really a way... To provide patient care immediately um, with an expert,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. and you mentioned—sorry—you uh, you mentioned that you have access to the EHR. You look at lab results and things like that. How does that all play into this sort of telehealth monitoring of these patients? So
1: you have two different types of models that teleICU can work within. It can be an episodic consultative model where the provider comes in. Um, Either in a scheduled way for rounding on patients uh, and leading rounding as an intensivist provider Um, And they're not following all of the alerts and alarms and monitors that, that you might But they can zoom in in the room and see many things and they can log into the EHR The other point is the the other model is the continuous and that has a surveillance aspect to it Which is a little different than monitoring The definition of monitoring is I put a patient on a device or some type of tool that monitors the patient. Mm -hmm. That's monitoring. Surveillance is continuous. It's surveilling everything that's going on with the patient, gathering information, and then from that information, making a clinical decision. Um, and so you want to have experts mm-hmm. in your tele-ICU because they need that situational awareness and experience in order to come to the right decision. And so there's also, in the continuous model, there are tools, clinical decision support tools. And those tools uh, are not just vital sign monitoring, but they can have a combination, almost like predictive modeling, where they have a combination of variables coming mm-hmm. in okay. about a patient that says, this patient looks like they're getting sicker faster, you might want to look at them first. and that will trigger the nurse or the nurse practitioner or the physician to go into the room and assess the patient or go into the lab results and other information that's available to them to determine what's the next course of action.
2: Okay. All right.
3: I think you also have the... um You have the capability of doing documentation, but also doing ordering, especially in these smaller community hospitals when they don't have a doctor in-house and they might need an order for a Foley catheter or an IV or even medications, that you have the capability from telecritical care to put those orders into the EHR.
2: Okay, so you mentioned um, regulatory issues, uh, licensing and things like that. Is this something that APRNs can do in all states right now?
0: Well, technically, but, you know, really the, we see that there's if they're doing telehealth, they need to have a license in each state in which they're providing care. So that was so going that to be my next question, t- if you are doing
2: it interstate, yeah, okay.
0: And Teresa actually talked about this. You know, we have the the compact um, through the National Council of mm-hmm. State Boards for Nursing, but with respect to APRNs and telehealth, that, that capability is not yet in existence.
1: Okay. Right. And, and the Center of uh, Medicaid Medicare Services has said within their um, documentation and their uh, requirements for doing telehealth, they have called out and mentioned nurse practitioners as being able to be a service provider. So from CMS's standpoint, they are a provider who can provide services and be re- reimbursed within the guidelines and requirements for reimbursement, which can differ state
3: to state and do tend to differ state to state.
2: Okay, Great.
3: Personally, I had to. um, Utah has surrounding states that we service, and so I had to get a license in the surrounding states in addition to my Utah license. But then there's also the credentialing in the different hospitals, Mm. and that can be a little time consuming getting credentialed so I can document and order for yeah, the Yeah, I would imagine. Right.
1: <laughs> and the Joint Commission is um, actually fine with what you call credentialing by proxy, so mm-hmm. you can still be accredited through the Joint Commission by using a credentialing by proxy. Unfortunately, the, the regulations uh, from state to state differ. So some states, like the state of California where I practiced in before I went to Massachusetts, they have credentialing by proxy. That has been accepted for uh, probably close to a decade now. Whereas in the state of Massachusetts, where I now practice, they do not have credentialing by proxy as an option. So with credentialing by proxy, if I'm credentialed at a hospital, a large maybe tertiary care center as a provider, and then I'm providing care to patients at a smaller facility, a community-based health system, all my um, medical staff office needs to do is send a letter that says, Teresa is credentialed and privileged to practice. Um, and she's passed all the requirements, and then that letter would then go to that hospital and they could accept that without going through the full privilege and credentialing process.
2: I'm sure that's a big time saver. Mm -hmm. And a money saver. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) So, okay. Um, So how common is this right now in the United States and worldwide? How common are these tele-ICUs?
0: Yeah, it's definitely grown over the years. Um, It's estimated that there's about um, 50. 50 centers at this point in time uh, 13,000 beds, uh 500 ICUs mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. and growing. Um, you in know, the, certain in the, US, or in the, in the US. US in the US? Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. in the United States. Yes. Um, are there any international sites that you know of for tele ICU?
1: I know there are sites that are starting to use um uh, they're not I don't think there's any doing the continuous modeling yet, but I believe there are a few that are going to be starting up. Yeah. Internationally. So um, there has been actually more work in my early years in telehealth. There was more um, work from the United States to um, uh, third world countries using telehealth. So some of our teleNICU, are our uh, neonatologists, um, they had trouble getting acceptance here in the United States, but they were providing services to labor and delivery areas all over the world. Mm, so yeah, they began yeah. to try to provide those services because they don't have neonatologists in certain countries. Sure. Um, and so we've seen uh, telehealth actually start to happen from the United States outside before we saw acceptance here and began to do it. Uh, more frequently here interesting okay.
0: well and actually uh, dr. Tim Buckman from Emory uh, does a telehealth uh, with Australia mm-hmm. So they have found that it, it really is convenient because their night is our day so mm-hmm. you know providers can actually be Servicing them during the night but working during the day So they have found that model to really be successful doing it that way.
2: Yeah, I imagine that would help uh, with the night shift Coverage. Mm -hmm. Um, So, okay. Um, What else uh, can you think of that you'd like to share with us about telehealth and the role for the APRN?
0: Well, you know, I think that we definitely have uh, the need for more information about Mm -hmm. the role. Um, And Teresa is serving as first author on an article that we actually collaborated on with some other. Uh, advanced practice providers looking at the telehealth role in seven centers, and so that's under review currently in in Nursing Outlook. We hope that that will be accepted for publication, Um, but one of the things that we had actually done several years ago is we received the first AACN impact grant to conduct a national uh, benchmarking survey. On telehealth nursing, Mm -hmm. and I think one of the important things that came out of that study that is really informing and showcasing the APRN role is the importance of collaboration and communication. You know, the the telehealth sounds like a great you know technology, but there are some issues with respect to uh, trust between providers. Mm -hmm. You know, if I don't know you and I'm the telehealth. advanced practice nurse telling you what to do, you may think I'm criticizing you or, or, you know, looking at you over your shoulder, big brother type thing. And that's really not the intent at all. So, you know, we need to have providers realize that it's it's really meant to be a collaborative type of practice in nature and communication is key. Skillful communication, it comes from, you know, the healthy work environments and the APRN plays a really good role in terms of communication, collaboration. To help manage the patient so it's a nice fit for the role and we believe that we will just see it evolving and, and continuing to grow.
2: Sure. So you mentioned conflict between providers who don't know one another. Mm-hmm. Have you run into a situation where you have perhaps a physician on the ground at this hospital but who's not an intensive and a nurse practitioner who's giving them advice in that sort of I'm the physician, you're the nurse conflict.
3: That, that's not common, but um, it occasionally does happen. And we had one particular hospital that didn't even want the intensivist involved and mm-hmm. in because they were hospitals and they have been taking care of ICU patients, but they felt like they didn't even need the intensivist. But what's helpful is you have a medical director that really backs you up mm-hmm. and says, you know, this is our model and this is how we're going to uh, come across. And it, it will be an APRN at times tell, giving you advice mm-hmm. on how to, care for a critically ill patient.
2: That's good. And I think uh, anytime we can collaborate Mm -hmm. is good. And I know we've, at our hospital, I have had very good relationship with our residents who Mm -hmm. really respect our APRNs and say, you know, we can learn a lot from you guys. You're more expert at this than we are right now. So uh, that's good that that we have that kind of collaborative relationship.
1: Yeah. I think the other question that comes up commonly is, what do patients and families think? Mm -hmm. Uh, And are they worried about having a camera in the room? And it's quite interesting. I've been doing um, the tele-ICU work since 2003. So when I started the tele-ICU at Sutter Health, Um, We were the first on the West Coast, the second in the nation to do this. So this was brand new. And as staff nurses, we kind of didn't even know what our role was. We had to develop it. Um, But what we found is it was very rare that patients or families complained about having Mm -hmm. the the camera. When you introduced yourself and said, hey, you know, I'm Teresa Rincon, and I am one of the critical care nurses, and I'm here to help your team care for you, Um, they loved having that extra set of eyes mm-hmm. watching them and so there was no concerns from the patient and family the concerns again was what Ruth highlighted came from the the, bed, uh, the care providers at the bedside who were worried about this why are you here mm-hmm. um, and, um, and having trouble and you have to realize is that every culture every unit has its own culture and when you drop any type of new service line into that culture, whatever dynamics are already there are going to be amplified because this is just part of the change process. Mm -hmm. So it's really being able to be brave uh, and to work through that and to spend a lot of time communicating. Um, Sometimes you go to the staff meetings of the nurses or you go to the physician meetings um, and you talk about it and you let them voice their concerns. Um, and then they know they're being listened to, and you start to develop those relationships because it's really about collaboration and skillful communication.
2: Okay. So for APRNs who want to get into the telehealth, um, what's the what's the advice would you give them?
3: Well, they have to have some bedside experience before we have them come to our team.
2: Okay.
1: I think really the. Um, the sky's the limit. If you see a need in your community that can't be fulfilled now because you don't have enough of that particular specialty provider, Mm -hmm. then why not talk about what what tools you could use to do that? If it's something you're already doing over the telephone, like we were doing with our tele-NICU program we're starting, our neonatologists were talking on the phone to labor and delivery uh, teams um, in uh, outside hospitals who a baby who was not uh, we did not predict would be born with problems is born with problems and now needs to be resuscitated and they were trying to do this over the phone and sometimes not even talking directly to the physician provider on site so the neonatologist would be talking to a nurse who would then be relaying the information mm. to that provider and then they would relay the information back and so it was playing this crazy message communication game and we are able now we've been testing our solution um, with our labor and delivery units and we can have a neonatologist at the bedside in a minute and a half from the time they uh, do the notification process which is really touching a screen on a touchscreen um, uh, telemedicine cart twice. I touch it here, I touch it here and boom it sends off a notification to whoever's on call and within a minute and a half they're doing two-way audio video with pan tilt zoom. They're able to talk them through resuscitation and it really helps the um, bedside team to feel that they are supported because they just don't run these codes on babies very often. It's not that they're not trained and they're not certified, but they're not practiced. Sure. And so now we can bring our neonatologists in while our transport team is heading up to to get baby and bring baby back.
2: Great. Well, it sounds like this is a fantastic tool to extend the reach of critical care and a fantastic opportunity for advanced practice nurses to play a big role. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. All
1: right, thank you. 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 You've been listening to Critical Care Practitioner. If you would like to comment on any of today's topics, find us at criticalcarepractitioner.co.uk, tweet us at ccpractitioner, find us at facebook.com criticalcarepractitioner or search criticalcarepractitioner on iTunes.